Welcome to Urban Alchemy Podcast, brought to you by the Pitch Podcast Network, your number one destination for pop culture, news, and entertainment. I'm Eric Hawthorne. And I'm Jane Banks. We want to give a very special shout out to our listeners, and we appreciate your continued support. First, in order to keep up with us, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and share the show. Also, for our Facebook users, search Urban Alchemy on Facebook and join the community. It's interactive, growing, and you'll be able to receive the most up-to-date information on the podcast and what we're doing in the Kansas City area. You know, it's always good to be back in the studio, bro, Um, especially when we get to talk about movies and, you know, today's topic, I'm really excited. But, you know, I saw the interview you did with Janelle Banks and man, that situation with Q39 is really crazy. You know, it's unfortunate to hear about some of the hate and bigotry that's really going on in our community. I'm glad you were able to speak to her and, you know, really get her side of the story. As was I. I'm glad I'm able to cover these stories here in Kansas City because you really don't hear. I really wasn't hearing this story getting covered very many other places so definitely wanted to take the time to get that woman in here and talk about that situation so check that out if you have not heard about that yeah it is a great opportunity for us to reach out to the community and be able to bring your stories to the masses so please continue to contact us if you do know any stories that need to be covered by our organization so what else has been going on with you bro oh uh for those of you who are part of our community group page on Facebook, you would have noticed that we have made it to the semifinals for the Kansas City People's Choice Awards for Best Podcast. So yay to us. Uh, we are have some very tough competition in that category. So yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough uh, fight, but I do believe in our community and do definitely believe we are the best, best podcast in Kansas City. So we definitely should win if everything is fair. <laughs> a politician's face it was like uh it was like mike myers face when kanye west was like george bush does not care about black people (laughs) yeah so definitely when voting reopens you know we'll make sure to let the community know but since we're almost up to 2,000 likes on facebook we really would appreciate if you would take the time out when voting does resume so we can go ahead and try to Sneak in there and win. So it's not a sneak. We want it's like the justification for us to we win. We want justification. Okay, we're, just, we're justified in winning. I, I really feel like we do a lot of work here in the Kansas City community, and a lot of other podcasts do great work too. But we do some like we we break barriers here. Okay. We, we've had we've been featured on the news. We have we have articles published in regards to people who are featured on here. Like it's it's a crazy crazy thing we're doing with this podcast. Indeed. So you know it's always just humbling to really uh but we need you out there to we do need you to really push us forward and try to get our name out there so we can win this beautiful illustrious tremendous reward award reward it is a reward uh right definitely yeah and shout out to all of our uh competition uh, i was gonna say compatriots but th- at this point they're competition uh who are also on the ballot so just take a moment in the spirits of competition uh shout out to everybody loves ross parallel state of mind chemology uh save for the podcast two brocos kilo and cash info rail uh we'll be right back Dem- Chrissy, Casey Connect, and Grayson Grind. So shout out to them. Uh, I am familiar with a few of those podcasts, uh, InfoRail, Chemology, Save for the Podcast, and uh, yeah, I had no idea there was an Urban Absurdity podcast. Yeah, but shout out to all those other other great shows out there. Um, I wish them all the best, and you know, may they grow and be blessed on their journey as well. But yeah, as as Eric mentioned, we are almost at 2000 uh, followers on our Facebook fan page. We are, I believe, 10, 10 people away from hitting that 2000 mark. So, yes, it, it's been a long struggle, but I'm thankful for the guys we do have on there and looking forward to uh, moving in the future and growing our audience. So shout out to us. 
All right, everyone. This week, we're going to continue our discussion and review of Christopher Nolan films. Last week, we reviewed The Prestige. Uh, this week, we'll be reviewing The Dark Knight. It is the uh, 2008 follow-up to Warner Brothers' 2005 reboot, Batman Begins, that relaunched the Batman franchise. Uh, this film uh, really takes a more serious, grounded take, as opposed to the campy nature of the Joel Schumacher films and, the, to a lesser extent, the uh Tim Burton uh, Batman films. Uh, this one is directed by Christopher Nolan, written by Nolan, his brother, Jonathan Nolan and uh, David Goyer. Um, this was such a huge deal when this film came out. It changed the game. It definitely did. Um, the way comic book movies are taken very seriously and appreciated uh, nowadays, I really think it just started with uh 2008's Dark Knight. I, not even Batman Begin. It, it, I think this was the film that really launched that era. Era. What about you? Yeah, I think Batman Begins set it up, but this one really sent it over the top where it was just like, this is so much more than a superhero movie. It, it, it's 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 super superhero movie at secondary. Uh, right. It's it's a it's a heist film. It's a psychological thriller. It's so many different film genres, and this is why it it was so successful is because like even if you don't enjoy the superhero aspect of it you might enjoy the the psychological aspect because it was like silence of the lambs meets heat mm -hmm. meets a batman movie so it's just so crazy and then to uh have such an incredible cast heath ledger <clears throat> excuse me heath ledger and aaron eckhart and you know uh maggie gyllenhaal michael <laughs> of course michael kane yeah, and, Christian yeah, Bale, the returning cast uh, from oh, Batman okay. Begins, but also there's these new. I don't know. I just felt like the second, second cast for that movie was just something special. Yeah, I like that lineup. That. Just it was it was incredible, and they all played off each other so well. And then you even have these smaller roles like uh, Michael Jai White, and you have Eric uh, Roberts. Eric Roberts, yes, you see smaller roles. Everybody holds it down so well, so it's so like that's a that this is a movie where I can I can. Very few things I can I can think of in the negative in regards. Uh, let me let me flash back. Let's wind the clock back. Okay. Uh, till to I remember when you first saw the movie and you called me after you saw it and you were just frantic. Like mm -hmm. you was just like, bro, you got to see this. Like it, it it's it's so crazy. I can't even describe it. But and I was just like, all right, I want to go see it. And then I saw it and I was just like, wow, this is something different and amazing. Because Heath Ledger did something just over the top with this performance. So I was just like, this movie is, I, I didn't expect it. I wasn't a fan of the Heath Ledger as the Joker announcement when it first came out. And that's Nobody all I was. could think of. That's all I could think of for this movie. Cause I really liked the first one. Uh, Cause I was like, okay, this is really different how they're setting up the mythos. How are they going to continue it? And then uh, they do the Easter egg at the end with the Joker card. And it's just like, okay, so the Joker is going to be good. here. Good, good. Who's going to be the Joker. And then it's, Heath Ledger and it's just you think about Brokeback Mountain and uh, 10 Things I Hate About You and you know he, he was known for a lot of teen stuff and mm -hmm. I was just like they they destroyed this whole franchise right but I think he originally wanted Heath Ledger for actually Batman to play Batman him and Killian Murphy he considered them for that role so it's really interesting that he said, oh, well, you know what? You didn't want to be Batman. I'm going to make you the Joker in this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I can necessarily see Heath Ledger be the Bruce. Well, I could probably see him be Bruce Wayne, but not so much Batman. Uh, but, yeah, uh, just the character list, the story is incredible. Mm -hmm. They showed the uh, first, the opening scene. Um uh, which became a staple of Christopher Nolan, just showing the first 10 minutes of a movie during a, uh, a trailer. Right. And I remember seeing that, and I was just like, wow, this is going to be something crazy. And that heist scene is, is, is it's one of my favorite scenes in film because it's just so well shot, coordinated, beautiful shots of Chicago, mm -hmm. you know, as all this is going down. And it really makes you feel like this is what Gotham's like. It's crimes going on every single day at all points of the day. You know, and it, 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 it's just a great representation of Gotham City. And that's what I love with Nolan, what he did with this film series. He made Gotham City a character. He did. Like, it, it really felt like you get, like, it was a real place that he made in this modern, not like Tim Burton tried to do with his, you know, 1920s type 
yeah, his or noir type of uh, <clears throat> artistically styled. Uh, yeah, super stylized. Deco. Yeah, yeah. And Schumacher took that and 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 then put it on meth. It was just like, <laughs> yeah, let's make a city with two hundred foot statues. Right. <laughs> it just like, everywhere. I, just imagine the Statue of Liberty, like everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, on every corner. It, it's very. It's not practical. But uh, yeah, but it seemed like a real city. And it seemed like it was like a corrupt place, like a beautiful mm. place if you were a great place to live if you were rich. Right. Horrible place to live if you were below the poverty level, though. But I, Nolan understood, like, Gotham is as a part, as much a part of the Batman mythos as, you know, Alfred or the Joker. Like, Absolutely. this is something we have to build up. And he did that. And so in this movie, uh, specifically, it's like, this city's fucked up. Like, you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who's a good guy, who's a bad guy. And the Joker entering this scene really sets all that on its head because it's like he's going to expose everybody. He's going to use your your darkness or your weaknesses against you and whatnot. Uh, but it, it, it just does such a great job at being so much more than a superhero movie. Yeah, it really did. Um, I think Nolan did a really good job. I know one of the goals that he set out is how can a man um, – such as Batman exists, why would he exist? He started asking those first fundamental questions. Where, what type of city would allow a mass vigilante to exist? You know, if the police department has corruption, they're not doing their job like they should. You know, people are going to turn for outside resources. They want to uh, see results. And then you see somebody like uh, Lieutenant Gordon come in and, uh, you know, really align his views with the Batman. And I think that was really important to set up those fundamental aspects so you can build a larger framework and see characters like the Joker, see characters like the mob, uh, the mob really present and growing or, uh, in the third film, somebody like Bane to exist because of the prevalence of the crime and the corruption that is really seated deeply in Gotham. So, yeah, you really brought up a good point about the uh, actual city being a living, breathing city that we can all identify with. I mean, when you think about it, all three movies are based off of just Gotham being a screwed up place. Like, right. Raj Al Ghul starts a riot and releases fear toxins in the first one because mm -hmm. it's just a messed up place. The second one, uh, the Joker wants to uh, <clears throat> pretty much destroy the city, burn down the city and make, make the city. But no, he doesn't want to do it. He wants to see the other people do yeah, it. Yeah, because it's a messed up place. And then right. Bane in the third one is just like, I'm going to eliminate all authority and you guys just live how you want to live because right. it's a messed up place. But yeah, it, it's crazy. And there actually it was a story that came out a couple years ago called Batman White Knight. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it, it's the story. It's a very good story if, you, if you're not familiar with it. It's it's uh, like an Elseworlds type story where Batman is looked at as a, a person who went through these psychological. They paint Batman as a person who went through these psychological traumas. So he kind of hates poor people. Like he goes around and he beats up poor people who are committed. Like he doesn't trust the cops to do it. Mm -hmm. Like he goes into like that. This is how the people in Gotham, the poor areas, look at them. Like he's just this guy who comes into our community and beats us up. And so you have like groups who are like protesting against him. And in the story, the Joker actually gets medication and becomes sane. Uh, and he's the White Knight. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, because he's pretty much advocating for Batman to be treated like a vigilante because he's like mm -hmm. these he's not using due process of the law which is an interesting concept because batman does not follow the law like he mm -hmm. beats up people outside the confines of the law and yeah it, it's it's it really does ask a lot of interesting questions as to at what point do we leave justice into the hands of a vigilante who himself is operating outside the law right it, th this movie brings up a lot of different interesting concepts like vigilanteism justice duality uh we can talk about the yin and yang of things like how chaos order chaos order uh the bruce wayne bruce wayne a lot of and, and another thing is like when i'm talking about duality i'm not only simply talking about harvey Dent. i'm talking about batman and bruce wayne and i think a lot of people what they don't understand about the batman character is that batman is the character Bruce Wayne is the disguise Man. and people often think from a distance that Bruce Wayne is the character 
and Batman is the, the disguise. And that's not really how it is. That's never really how it's been set up, yeah. especially in a modern context. I think some di- directors have definitely fumbled it like Schumacher completely fumbled it. Uh, <clears throat> well, hold up. I actually don't want to say that because when you if you I think if Schumacher would have had his way, Batman Forever would have been completely different. There are a lot of deleted scenes in that film where they're actually diving into the psychology of Bruce Wayne and Batman and Batman. Bruce Wayne does believe, understand towards the end of the movie that he is Batman and, you know, Bruce Wayne is just who he goes around pretending to be every day. I I, I did have to think about that, but there's a lot of darker. So, uh, for those of you who have not already seen the first installment of this movie, Batman Begins, uh, pretty much the story, uh, Bruce Wayne, he, uh, dead parents, uh, which we've seen numerous times throughout media, and he returns to Batman, uh, returns to Gotham to fight crime. And in that movie, he fights against his mentor, Raj Al Ghul, in the League of Shadows. Uh, and in this movie, he comes up against the Joker, which is a completely different, uh, skill set for a villain that he's just not used to uh it's less uh physically intensive and more mentally uh constrictive in regards to the joker because he's going to play mind games he's going to make you make horrible decisions or hard decisions so to speak so this in this movie it really is about batman trying to be and you get to see a lot of uh, batman being a detective uh, which i don't think you really get to see in in very many other movies but yeah, it, it just is a matter of Batman you just being a intellectual hero uh, <clears throat> in this movie, uh, which I love because this movie does deal with psychology a lot uh, in regards to the characters like uh, Two-Face. You see with Harvey Dent a lot, his uh, complex theory with his flipping of the coin. He's actually cheating, uh, so to speak. Uh, and then you have the Joker, who's just chaos and anarchy personified uh and then you have other characters like uh, gordon who is like your he's supposed to be the uh true carrier of good but he's actually batman's biggest advocate and he's a police officer who is uh, assisting uh vigilante so you have these various levels uh that people are are doing things on uh but i mean where, where do you think this movie excels the most because uh, um, i plot pacing uh story i mean there's so many aspects of this film character uh development lack of character development for the joker which i think we both appreciate he doesn't have a backstory yeah he's just a constant he is an absolute because there will be all there will always be chaos there will always uh, be anarchy so i think christopher nolan did an excellent job with uh I would say Christopher Nolan and Heath Ledger did an excellent job of constructing the Joker and not deconstructing the Mm -hmm. Joker. Um, I think that was critical for this film's success and for our our love and appreciation of this character. And I don't want to go too much in depth to the character now. You asked me a, a pretty pointed question, but I'm just saying that was a real key piece to no, you're right. this film. I think you might That's see... That's the most memorable thing about the movie. Right. I think you might see the Joker more than you actually see Batman in this film. Yeah, it's definitely the thing people remember the most. It's mm-hmm. it's just a, a brilliant performance across the board, and it really is unfortunate because you see, like, Jared Leto picked up the mantle right after Heath Ledger, and people were already just like, no, you're not going to be able to do it. Sorry. And right. then... Unfortunately, with Suicide Squad, uh, it, it was not the the best representation uh, we yes. saw. But then we have Joaquin Phoenix pick it up and do something completely different with it. And then we see right. Jared Leto return to it with this this short Schneider cameo and, you know, have a much better reaction. So just the way he rose, uh, ra- rose the bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the Raised the bar. Rose the bar. Raised the bar. Yeah, he raised the bar. Okay. Yeah, that's the way. Yeah, just the way he raised the bar for not only uh, playing the Joker, but comic book characters in general. Absolutely. Like, everybody's like, I'm going to put 110% because this doesn't have to be some silly, you know, wacky. Yeah, and I mean, I appreciate what 
Nicholas did with the Burton version of the Joker. I mean, but he's more of a clownish buffoon in, in many instances in that movie. But, you know, I can watch the Burton movie and I can say this is a good performance. I mean, Jack uh, Nicholson is my favorite part of that movie. Yeah, he, he, he especially with the art gallery scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dancing the Prince. I mean. <laughs> Do I look like I'm joking? <laughs> <laughs> but no, he doesn't. But I would say probably the b- most buffoonish is uh, Cesar Romero's oh, yeah, uh, yeah, performance, yeah. you know. But, you know, I, I mean, I s- still to this day, my favorite is Mark Hamill. It's just he's had over 20 years to perfect the Joker. Yeah, he's, it's easier because you don't have to be there, so right. to speak. You can just send your spirit. And that's what he does. He just he's able to be the spirit of the joker so to speak right. to me he's the definitive joker but i love his his performance and i didn't know how it would feel because this is the guy from the patriot and uh i never saw brokeback mountain uh but you know 10 things i hate about you a night's tale night's tale yeah so it, it's just interesting that out of everybody Christopher Nolan said, I want you to be the guy and I will take the heat because I'm pretty sure the studio was probably, you know, got some pushback from the studio as well. They probably wanted somebody like Johnny Depp, I'm sure, or or a bigger name at the time. Um, But with that character, we see the perfect. I don't even know if you, you know, he's not really a villain. He's more of Batman's antagonist. And it's almost weird because I almost don't want to call him a, an, an antagonist. He's like the yin to Batman's yang or the yang to Batman's yin. Uh, they need each other. And, you know, it comes to a head in the interrogation scene. Well, not come to a head, but I think Batman starts to realize and understand the psychology of the Joker in the interrogation scene where he's he asks the Joker, why do you want to kill me? And the Joker just scoffs in his face. Kill you. I don't want to kill you. I don't you. want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. I need you. You complete me. And <laughs> the Bat- Batman still doesn't understand. I mean, he's he's like, you're, you're a psychopath who kills for money, blah, blah, blah. And then the Joker just sees right through there. He's like, don't talk like don't them. Talk you, like you're them. not. Not you're like not. them. You know, um, so the it, chips are down. I'm going to turn on you. It's like uh, these civilized people, uh, you know, they'll eat each other. And that's true. And he found that out in uh, the third movie, really. Didn't really come to fruition in the first movie. I mean, the second movie, uh, Dark Knight. But, you know, you see that absolutely happen in the third movie. Uh, but it's just amazing the time and effort that went into this character oh, yeah. and building up this um, this foil for Batman. I think that's a good word for it, a foil for Batman because you can see he was set up to be something much bigger than just the second movie. Yeah, absolutely. That, so, I mean, uh, in regards to, I don't know, I always feel like the arch nemesis of a superhero has to be the polar opposites. Like Superman is the strongest man alive. He's super fast. He has a heat vision. Lex Luthor is just smart. Super smart. He's super smart. Like that's. That's, he has a what do they say in the animated series? He has a twelfth level intellect yeah, or something yeah, like it's that. Just like some sort of uh, d- some degree of intellect that's universally like acknowledged as you're you're a competent person, right? Uh, but yeah, it, it's 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 just always supposed to be the opposite to me. And the Joker is the polar opposite of the Batman. With Batman is supposed to be dark and serious and pure force, and the Joker is bright and terrifying in a different way mm-hmm. where it's just like chaos anarchy fire blood like everything you can think of uh, just coming out of the blue it's just like the worst day of your life yeah i did like how this character is not clownish no. i mean uh, mark hamill's character is clownish uh it's not on the level of buffoonery like cesar romero's character but uh there's no real uh 
insinuation that he's the clown prince of crime, uh, kind of like uh, Jared Leto's character, you know, it's intimated that this is who he is or whatnot. This is just Batman's foil. This is his greatest nemesis that he cannot even pretend to begin to really comprehend and understand. And he can't really fully understand this character until he's broken down. And that's what the Joker does. He breaks him down. He analyzes him from the beginning. He notices that he has an affinity for Rachel Dawes uh, back when he infiltrates uh, Bruce Wayne's um, condominium in downtown Gotham. He noticed that he just throws himself after Rachel without any hesitation. So he knows that there's something there and he uses that against him. And he know, knows he has to kill her and not Harvey Dent because uh, he understands the psychology of Batman, that Batman meet, wants Rachel Dawes, but he needs Harvey Dent. Yeah. Black, dark night, white night. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's uh, interesting to look at it that way because yeah, the Joker is all about making choices. And, and you see that with uh, the way he uses Batman, who is this uncorruptible figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, even kill, after killing Rachel, he's not going to be corrupt. He's not going to kill the Joker. Uh, as opposed to uh, Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. who is completely broken after the death of Rachel. And, you know, that was his master plan all along was to corrupt Harvey Dent. It wasn't to get rid of Batman. It wasn't to, you know, do everything Batman thought in his head like a rational villain would do. Like, this isn't about you. This isn't about me. It's about Harvey Dent. It's about the soul of Gotham. Right. Um, You know, kind of jumping around a little bit, you look at the end of this movie and then you see that, um, you know, he, he basically tells Batman, you know, I brought Harvey down to our level. You know, and um, to show Gotham who their real savior is, you know, to break to to really break the heart of the citizens of Gotham, to show all the quote unquote wonderful things that Harvey had done um, recently with killing people, et cetera, et cetera. But it's crazy when Batman throws him off the building the Joker laughs. He He's excited about falling down. And I think that was a homage to uh, Jack Nicholson falling off the building in uh, yeah, the, uh, Burton, the Burton film or whatnot. But it almost seems like when Batman's grappling hook wraps around the Joker's ankle and he's like maybe, what, 50 feet from hitting the pavement, he's just like, oh, darn. Yeah. I really wanted that to happen. I wanted to push you to your limit. And then, you know, he gives us excellent speech about you know you truly are incorruptible uh he's like basically you need me you know (coughs) basically you need me i need you can't you see this blah 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 i'm just paraphrasing but it is really an excellent speech very well written and heath ledger really really um showcases his acting chops there and it's really almost very poetic and sad because he's like, he said i think we're destined to do this forever mm. and of course Heath passed away uh during post-production but uh you know batman says you'll be locked up in a padded cell forever and uh then that's when he goes into the uh speech about how he turned harvey dent and made him the very essence of uh, chaos and anarchy and what happens when the system fails. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. What's your, what what is your favorite scene in this film? Favorite scene in this film? Hmm. I would have to say it's probably the opening. The opening? Yeah. That, that heist scene is just, I'm a big heist, you know, heavily influenced by Michael Mann's heat. Yeah. I love heat. Uh, You know, De Niro so what are we going to do after we get up from here? Right. Uh, no, uh, that scene is just incredible. Uh, you know, I've, I've texted you after I was rewatching. I was just like, I would love to see a movie about this, just this group of people and their relationship to the Joker before he just shows them they're all pawns. I'm surprised there hasn't been a uh, fan-made YouTube movie about that, like stretch it out to 30 minutes or whatnot. Yeah, because after watching Baby Driver, I was just like, okay, this this is like a Baby Driver crew. But right. <laughs> it's just the Joker's uh, Kevin Spacey. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that 
opening scene was great. And then, you know, they even bought back one of the actors from Heat mm-hmm. uh, to have a small role yeah. in there. Uh, one of the bank... Um, the bank manager. Bank managers who works for the mob or whatever. I mean, just those small, subtle callbacks, yeah. I think, uh, just really shows the respect that Christopher Nolan has for uh, filmmaking and writing. And, yeah, that was a really good scene. You know, that's one of the iconic... Uh, one of the iconic lines, whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you stranger. Yeah. You know, uh, just beautifully seeing. shot. Everything is just so. In IMAX, too. And that was a big yeah. thing at the time. I don't think a lot of people understand how much Christopher Nolan advocated for the IMAX cameras to be used. Mm-hmm. And studios did not want that because if you break one, which happened on the set of The Dark Knight Rises, uh, they're over $100,000 to replace. They're extremely loud and clunky. And hard to move, uh, so it makes uh, production and filmmaking uh, very difficult to use. And then, because they're so loud and clunky, you have to re-record the dialogue Ugh. over it. So lips have to match and everything. That's probably why you don't really see. I mean, in that particular scene, everybody basically has on a mask until when they don't need the mask, uh, because they were still trying to figure out how to use these cameras. So it was a really good advancement in cinema and technology. And it's kind of come become standard today. Yeah. Uh, but in 2008, that was really a big deal. Yeah, yeah. It's I like think, uh, our version of 3D. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think there were only like maybe four scenes in the movie that were shot in IMAX. And, uh, that scene, the scene where he's in Hong Kong, the truck flip scene. Which I would also say is probably my least favorite scene. What, the truck flip? No, no, no. The uh, Hong Kong. Why the whole Lenin excursion. The Where he has to go over there, chase down Lao. Yeah. You think it slows down the movie? I think it's a complete, like, I feel like this is, like, for our Chinese investors, let's go to Hong Kong. And, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I just felt like this is a complete detour. It's just like we didn't need to go here. We the whole story could like if Lynn was just chilling in Chinatown in Gotham City, the story would have been exactly the same. Like, you know, but he had to be. Remember, he had to get out of Gotham because he knew the Chinese would not extradite their own. I get that, but I just feel like they made Lynn a Chinese national. Lao, Lao, excuse me, <laughs> a Chinese national specifically so they can take him to China. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying now. There was just no point of it. I was just like, he could have been anyone, but they chose to specifically make him someone who goes to China. Okay, okay. So Batman can go to China. Batman in China. He's never been done before. Okay, yeah. Like, I can see them in the pitch room, like, Batman in China. Boom. And then there's a hook. And then we get him (laughs) into the sky. You see a beautiful Hong Kong skyline. Right. Yeah, I was just like, this is pointless. Okay, I I can understand that. That's a small gripe about the film in the grander scheme of things. Yeah, it's just... Um, I think my favorite scene in the film is probably... I don't know. I've rewatched the interrogation scene so many yeah. times. That's probably it just because it's such a well-written scene. Um, reminds me of... Another callback, the scene in Heat between Robert De Niro and Al Pacino meeting in the cafe to have coffee. Um, Very calm conversation. Um, This one is not a calm conversation because Batman is highly agitated because the love of his life has been kidnapped and somebody he needs to take up the mantle, quote unquote, of Batman. And Harvey Dent has also been uh, captured as well. Uh, But Great acting from Heath Ledger, uh, Christian Bale, and uh, Gary Oldman in that particular oh, yeah. instance. Uh, least favorite scene of the movie. I'm going to say when. Uh, I'm going to probably say when we see the funeral for uh, Commissioner Loeb. I didn't really like that scene where they're out there. It's kind of confusing. It's it's a lot of jarring cuts made really fast. Um, 
And then, you know, um, yeah, I, I just don't like that scene in general. I mean, it's, it's not bad. It's just I don't. I just feel okay. I, I agree because it's just like all the police in the city, right, are in this one spot, and then you have the Joker and his men mm-hmm. with literal rifles, mm-hmm. and you can't catch him, right? I was just like, this is a, okay. If for some it. reason the police department is really incompetent because they're always in one general spot in these movies, like in the Dark Knight and in the Dark Knight Rises, and it's just easy to like either yeah, pick, pick them, them off or, <laughs> <laughs> or trap them. Yeah, they're not very competent police. Like the good ones are corrupt. Like all the right. all the ones that actually have any kind of combat training are probably corrupt. But yeah, that yeah, I agree. That's a silly scene. And then Bruce Wayne in the fucking window. Right. I was just like, no way Batman would think, let me just peek over here and see. No, you know what's going on. Right. Because you're a detective. But he you, just... He, in that moment, he's incompetent. Oh, I forgot what was going on outside. My bad, guys. Right. So, yeah, that would probably be my least favorite scene, but I would say the most iconic scene is probably the truck flip scene. Oh, yeah, the chase. Yeah. That but it, yeah. The only problem with the truck flip scene is they showed it in the previews. Yeah, that's true. That sure would have had a lot more impact if they would have let that just be out the blue. Uh, but, yeah, that whole... That whole... Um, sequence was incredible and then the reveal that gordon's alive right because i was just like oh my god did they kill gordon because that's how screwed up this movie has you it's just like are they killing people are is alfred safe like what's (laughs) going on like i was just like they killed gordon like it's possible in this universe right because it's dark it's gritty and you know i just also some of my favorite scenes is anything with alfred yes because those scenes, especially when when we get to the next movie, Dark Knight Rises, I think where he has his best. Yeah, they actually give models. Alfred something to do in this trilogy, as opposed to uh, the Burton version, as well as the Schumacher version, because he's not simply a butler serving soup yeah. and letting Vicky Vale in the house <laughs> and stuff like that. This uh, version of Alfred is actually, you know surrogate father to bruce and as well as his mentor and his closest confidant yeah he's a teacher he's a psychiatrist and a therapist right he's a a cook right he's a medic he's literally every this man's everything right he sets bruce wayne's bones he's changed his diapers he takes care of his models on the boat (laughs) flies away (laughs) right so you know they actually give him something to do what did you think about maggie gyllenhaal's performance as rachel dawes taking over for Katie Holmes. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I didn't like Katie Holmes. Me neither. Uh, her, it's just uh, her acting was never like this. Is never like it was just never the the only level of this is how serious the situation is. Mm-hmm. I always felt like it's just like, oh my gosh, guys. I don't know if it's just for me growing up with her like on Dawson's Creek, but I just, just could not take her too seriously. Like right. Every uh, it's certain lines people in these movie have to deliver with some seriousness, mm-hmm. but she would say it and it would completely take me out the movie. Like I can, I can, the Scarecrow's toxins is going. It's like okay, you just reminded me this is a comic book movie, right? When no, Christian Bale I can, can definitely feel that. Yeah, I, I yeah, Jay, she definitely did a lot. I, I like her because she's not like super attractive, mm-hmm. so she had to, and I don't know. I just feel like she did a much better job than the first one, and. uh it was kind of hard for me to, I don't know, I don't know. I, I liked her. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm going to just go ahead into my gripes about this film because this is a really good film, but there are a couple of things that I just cannot let down. Uh, one, the overacting of Aaron Eckhart mm-hmm. as Harvey Dent in some instances, especially where he's calling out Rachel's name after. The- Do it. No, I'm not doing Do it. It's just so ridiculous. Eric does a great Harvey Dent in the no. hospital impersonation. I, I have to. He'll just yell Rachel's name out of nowhere. Okay. Is everybody ra- ready? I say, is everybody <laughs> Rachel? Rachel, <laughs> Rachel, Rachel. And then when the Joker's talking to him in the hospital, which is another excellent scene, he's like, uh, no, it's when. Uh, yeah, he's, he says Rachel again, but when Gordon's talking to 
<laughs> to him in the hospital and he's tied down to the bed and Gordon's like, okay, you're not taking your medication. Your face has been half blown off. You've rejected the skin grafts. And he's talking about um, uh, Rachel, uh, you know, no, he's not talking about Rachel. He's talking about uh, the name that internal affairs used to call Harvey. And he's like, you know, they used to call you Harvey Two-Face, but before he can basically get that information information out of Gordon, he's basically prying him. He's like, say it, say it, say it. <laughs> I'm like, Christopher Nolan, was this just one take? You were like, this is too good to stop. Uh, his overacting is laughable in those situations where he's making this fall from the white knight Mm-hmm. to quote unquote uh, just a fall from grace into darkness or whatnot um which is kind of i wish they would have fleshed it out a little bit more because it, in the comic books and the animated series harvey dent has dealt with this his entire life as big bad harv this alter ego of his and they didn't do a good job in this movie of fleshing that out but another gripe is the Batman voice. The Batman voice is... Oh, yeah, the gravelly. Yeah, it was fine, I thought, in the first... Well, we'll let Tell you... me. <laughs> no, the first one was horrible. You thought it was horrible? That, yeah, that's probably the worst part of the first movie for me. Pleasure me! Yeah, but it wasn't, like, super crazy in this one like i like the ben affleck batman voice you know to me like where it's modulated yeah this one is i mean this one is modulated as well but it's never explained why all of a sudden it sounds like he has like a a chicken bone in his throat or something uh so yeah i i mean that's it's really this movie is really like catching lightning in a bottle yeah it's it's something, and, and and then of course, it made everything need to be dark and edgy. Like I'd say, we hit the hit the period where everybody was trying to make like the the realistic dark and edgy, mm-hmm. uh, like the Fantastic Four. Like that's why that didn't work because you can't make a realistic. You mean fan four stick? Yeah, fan four stick. Okay, you can't make a realistic dark and gritty Fantastic Four. Like no, that's just impossible. Uh, villain saying you just don't understand. What else was dark for the sake of being dark? Uh, for this movie or for just... Just the movies that follow. Uh, the Spider-Man. Oh, the, the Andrew amazing, Yeah, versions. the amazing Spider-Man. It's just like, yeah, he's this dark and gritty, cool, hipster Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh, no. I hated that movie. The yeah. second one. The second one. The first one was tolerable. The second one was just un... I could not do it. Right. Well, I think some movies benefited from this, like Logan. Yeah, Logan definitely Logan is one of my favorite comic book adaptations. It was more of a character study um, of Logan and really understanding the dynamic in the father-son relationship between him and uh, Charles Xavier. So that was really good. I mean, I I really – I watched Logan. I rented it, and it's because it was on – pay-per-view basically it played for 48 hours straight Mm. until the rental was over i must have watched it at least four times in between those two you know those two days yeah yeah. i think that benefited from it but the problem is we did go into that period where everything had to be Edgy. edgy dark and gritty um could barely see during you know during fight scenes or anything like that um, because of that. So I think Marvel did a good job of kind of breaking away from that. Uh, Fox did a good job as well with Deadpool, yeah, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, making a more comedic superhero character. Yeah, and break just like it's in, in making fun of, oh, this is so dark and edgy. And, you know, we're, we're uh, yeah, just having that humor, the Gardens of the Galaxy. Right. That type of, uh, 
But, you know, I, I, I like the way that it has. It, it really has just was the spark in what we have today where it's like everybody's doing something different. We can mm-hmm. have a WandaVision. We can have a Falcon and Winter Soldier. And, uh, right. you know, it's, it's, it's great to see because the genre has expanded so much. But it started with this. And, and this was like the, f- the first comic book movie where someone was nominated for an Academy Award and won. And it, yeah, well, he, he should have won. Yeah, I mean, and I, there was another another movie I liked that year, and that was Slumdog Millionaire. Mm-hmm. But it, you would have to say, you would have to tell me specifically why somebody else that year would have won Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. I mean, because I can't see anybody because it was just unanimous. He's yeah, yeah, give him the award. Yeah, even though it was posthumous. Um, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he, he still would have. I think he still would have won because they that it, that was just like such an amazing like that performance goes down like with the, the goddamn Anthony Hopkins and Hannibal Lecter. And, yeah, I, I I kept thinking of him as like Nurse Ratchet from Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, just one of those real iconic figures. Yeah. You know, Lecter of course was iconic. Uh, and Ledger's performance, of course, was iconic. I think one of the biggest shames of it all was, you know, due to his his death, uh, of course, alterations needed to be made. Now, all his scenes were shot um, and completed, so nothing really needed to be done. But, of course, he had to, Nolan had to change the premise for the third movie. He also had to change certain things in the second movie as well. Michael Jai White, who plays uh, a crime boss, uh, named Gamble in the movie, uh, discussed in a recent interview, I think that took place last year, that in the original version of The Dark Knight in the script, uh, his par- his character Gamble did not die. Now, a lot of people always are confused when this happens, when the Joker reveals himself out of the uh, trash bag, when somebody says, oh, we've killed the, gu- the Joker. Gamble initially put a price on the Joker's head because he had disrespected uh him and his grandmother in a prior scene. So the Joker is brought to him and then, you know, assumingly dead, but springs up to life, puts a knife in Joker's mouth, gives this uh, twisted backstory about how he actually received the scars and then places a knife in the Joker. I mean, in Gamble's mouth and cuts his mouth open. Yeah. Gaslow's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what's it called again? Gaslow Smile. Gaslow Smile. Okay, so a lot of people are confused. Okay, Gamble just kind of falls down and he's dead. Well, everybody's like, well, that wouldn't kill you. And Michael Jai White agrees. He's like, yeah, you know, no, I've been asked that a lot. And he said, no, in the original version, I <laughs> wasn't dead. I was on the floor writhing in pain and you know they walk out or whatever you know it gives his speech or whatever uh you know about you know who wants to join forces with the joker or whatnot and but i'm writhing in pain he said he had further scenes with killian murphy's character who plays the scarecrow as well and that you know in the other scenes he has prosthetics on his face where he has the gaslow half smile so you know it would have been great to see that, and it probably, whatever was excised from the movie would probably explain the greatest math question of all time. Who are these five people that Gordon is talking about that Harvey Dent has killed? Oh, yeah, yeah Nobody yeah. knows. Like He's like, five people killed, two of them are cops. It's like, hold up. Hold on one sec. <laughs> Who are these random people? He didn't kill Ramirez, right? He didn't. He just knocked her out. He and killed so, the fat guy right. in the bar, and then he shot the driver, and then he, which kind of caused the death of Maroni. But then we have these other people. And it's right? Like, Who else did he kill? Right. Was so, this one at the hospital. Right. So it's like super confusing on how Gordon would even know this information as well. So I think that is another loose end in the movie. Like, I think Christopher Nolan should have just reshot that one little, like, 10-second scene altogether because it just makes no sense. And I have to think that it's somewhere on the cutting room yeah, floor. true. Maybe he killed Gamble. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. We but. don't know. 
yeah, unanswered questions due to the uh, post-production, due to his death. But yeah, I've, I've heard stories that there was supposed to be a lot more of the Joker in the third one, and they were supposed to unravel more, but we never got to see it, unfortunately. Right, and I think people alluded to um, the third movie was supposed to take place around the trial of the Joker, and um, I think somebody else said, well, I know that the third movie was supposed to be about the trial of the Joker and somebody else. This may be fan theory that uh, if the situation with Bane did, in fact, happen somewhere in the third movie or something similar to that nature, um, that the Joker was supposed to assist Batman in catching catching the main villain of that movie, Hannibal Lecter style behind who's supposed uh, to be calendar man. Yeah. I'm joking. Uh, well, I mean, but that's a good little. <laughs> Nobody knows who Calendar Man yeah, is. I was about to say Kite Man. But I was supposed to say they might think I'm trying to make something up there. <laughs> well, I forgot all man. about Calendar Man. We'll probably never see Calendar Man outside the Arkham games. Uh, actually, he's supposed to be uh, featured in a new Batman animated movie, uh, Batman: The Long Halloween. Oh, really? Yeah, that it looks it. pretty interesting. I saw previews for that. I don't like this new animated. I just like the DC animated universe so much. The past one, the new 52 version they did, and they just completely wiped it clean. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, great. Now I have to deal with all these new animation styles. Yeah, the new animation styles are different. I've been kind of heavily into watching new um, Batman movies, Bat Batman by Gothlight, Gotham by Gath Gaslight. Um, was it Ninja Batman? Yeah, Batman Ninja. N yeah. Um, and then you have Justice League Doom and all these other films. Uh, uh, Justice League Apocalypse. Apocalypse War. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was a very brutal movie. But uh, <laughs> no, no, I like like those kind of movies. But yeah. uh, Flashpoint. Flashpoint is probably like my, one of my favorites. I'd like say that and Red Hood, Under the Red Hood are probably... I think Under the Red Hood is probably my favorite Batman animated movie. And uh, Flashpoint, I don't know, I just like it, but I'm watching it because it's just so dope. Yeah, mine is still Mask of the Phantasm. Good movie. Um, I do like Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Oh, yeah, Return of the Joker is uh, really great. Especially the PG-13 version is really good. I mean, just a little bit of blood. And it, Joker stabs Batman in the leg with a knife. He uses, uh, uh, gets electrocuted. Yeah, they're, they're, that's good. And then Flashpoint, maybe. I did I did watch, uh, uh, when I watched Apocalypse War, I thought that was really good. Uh, I think that was the introduction of uh, Super Supergirl. I really enjoyed that. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there, there are a lot of great, Animated DC yeah. movies, just not a lot of great animated live action. I mean, a lot of great live action DV, DC movies. So. DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> no, straight up. I, I feel the same way. I always felt like their animation is where they, they've excelled. And unfortunately, they haven't really uh, capitalized on that too late, too much. But yeah, hopefully they get back on that uh on that course but yeah in terms of dc movies not really sure what we have coming going forward um i do know i do know i've been enjoying these marvel shows uh they have been very very pleasantly surprising uh have you watched the wandavision and winter soldier and no i haven't watched anything Falcon? yet i probably won't i'm not deep into marvel like you i wasn't either I had checked out for Marvel, and WandaVision was just because it was nothing else on. But mm -hmm. Falcon and Winter Soldier is good. Well, maybe I'll give that a try. I think you'd uh, like that. I did like uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. I didn't like the first one, but I, and I didn't really care for Civil War either. So, Yeah, you'll. I think you'll like it because it's, it's, it's actually uh, – it goes it's, – it's pretty good because it actually goes into a lot of territory I didn't think they would, like uh, – the whole black Captain America thing and yeah, the I heard Korean War. That. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, I would recommend it, though. But so what would you give The Dark Knight? I'd give it a nine. A nine? Yes. I'd actually give it a nine and a half. Um, 
and I said this might confuse <laughs> viewers, listeners, because I gave The Prestige a nine, yeah. but that was like, that's my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Um, and this, I give this one a 9.5, but this really relaunched comic book movies. Yeah. And it is, to this day, I think the best comic book movie. Um, probably second, I would put like Logan and then maybe either Infinity War, Captain America, Winter Soldier. You know, that's kind of my... Um, my tier of movies. Mm -hmm. I mean, what about you? What are your top three? Top superhero movies. Live action. Live action superhero movies. Ooh. Okay. I would have to say. Hmm. That's a tough one. Because I'd probably say Captain America, Winter Soldier mm -hmm. is up there. Uh, probably in game. And DC. Yeah, it's a Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't but like Endgame. So I liked Endgame. I, I wouldn't say it's a, a perfect movie. I wouldn't say it, I liked it though. It was good. It was really good. Um, yeah, anything that has to do with time travel is going to be kind of. Kind yeah, of but the thing was, the Russo brother said, "Oh, it's not going to have to deal with time travel whatsoever." They said and, a lot of stuff. Yeah, and that was the crux of the movie. Yeah, it's the whole time heist. But no, I liked it. It was uh, they did well. It was a perfect wrap-up, I think. Okay. Well, anything else you want to add to our review of The Dark Knight? No, it's just one of the, like you said, one of the greatest comic book movies and also one of the greatest thrillers uh, mm -hmm. that has happened in our lifetime. So uh, if you haven't seen it, you are crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's on Netflix now, so make sure you check it out. Absolutely. Well, we want to once again thank you all for listening. Uh, we do ask that you continue to support the show. Uh, go to the Facebook page, like the show uh, so we can get up to 2000 likes. And then we'll also keep you posted in regards to the voting once again for uh, best podcast in Kansas City. You know, that really would mean a lot to uh, John Michael and myself, particularly John Michael, because he really has um I really care about winning. I care really about like winning. being a winner. This is his baby, and I think he's done a fine job of, yeah. you know, putting everything together. And, you know, he really has um, started from nothing in terms of not knowing anything about production uh -huh. and YouTube and editing, et cetera, et cetera. And he really taught himself. And I'm just, you know, as your brother, once again, you know, I'm always incredibly proud of you and the uh, strides you made to get to this point. Thank you, man. As my brother who stuck with me through all of my, my journey, I appreciate that. Cause that's what brothers do. That's what friends are for. Okay. Anyway, well, thank yeah. you so much again for your continued listenership. I'm Eric Hawthorne. And I'm Jane Banks. And this is Urban Alchemy. Urban Alchemy X. And this is Urban Alchemy Podcast brought to you by the Pitch Network. Pitch Podcast Network. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Just edit that out. Sure. Well. All right. But yeah, uh, thank you all for joining us once again. Our music for the episode is being provided to us. Our music for the episode is being provided to us by Handsomely Rich Kings and their tracks and their track We Kings. So make sure to check them out as well as all of our musical artists on Urban Alchemy playlist on Spotify. So yeah, that's all we got for today's episode. So you all stay blessed and stay safe. I will catch you all later. Peace. Belts, furs, skins, war tape, swords, queens, we kings, we kings, gotta make sure that this we kings, we kings, we kings, we kings, we kings, we kings. Shine on my rubies Gotta make sure they're glistening Like in all the movies Gold don't get old And that's all that's to it So you better make sure you're listening To who is the truest We kings and that's what We'll always be
yeah, we kings, and that's what we'll always be. And we'll keep making history. Yeah. Offset the economy, the institution. Just give away so much gold. Who am I? Mansa Musa, the king of all kings, my melanin or your conscience, my princess, Neskada, derived the country of Scotland, no traces of more, you can't truly be samurai, gave other countries our culture, it's only right, we got sanitized, Saint Nicholas, Mr. Magnificent, what more do you want no more, our origins and descendants, we walk water. Conquerors in our own right, crucified, but we resurrect. Sit next to God for your insight. Against all lies, we study disguise. Check that kinky hurt on Buddha. That's not a mirage. We kings, 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 we kings. Gotta vibrate higher, get in tune with the parts they don't see. Align philosophies with the ancestors that developed monarchies. It's time to channel the military mind of Hannibal, activate the pineal gland, so we can obtain what was once intangible, reconquer air, sea, and land. We're bigger than claiming territory. We don't own living for a block to rep. We were the world's first architects and advanced the medical field like Imhotep. Time to utilize our influence and take full advantage of our platforms. If you see another king succeed, edify him and clap for him. Step into the mind of Marcus Garvey, unify under one banner, one aim, one mission, all it takes is one to stand up, return the former glory, show the world as beings we are supreme, and from now through all eternity, they'll remember that, we kings, 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 we